in Nebraska to go preach for a pastor, a small church up in Nebraska, somewhere out in the plains of Nebraska. And when he was called, he flew into their airport. I believe he flew into Omaha, and he had to go several hundred miles west of Omaha, out into this little country. And guess where they put him up? Is a six-story old wooden hotel. And next to the wooden hotel was a brick wall, probably about 20 feet outside of his window. And uh, he was uh, checked into the hotel. And one of the things you don't do as a visiting ministry, you don't go and tell your host pastor, uh, thank you, but no thank you, I don't want to stay in this wooden hotel. Uh, you, you don't tell your host ministry what you do and what you don't. You don't tell them what you want to eat. You, don't want to, you, you accept what they give you and you show appreciation. You honor them. And, and Pastor Iverson's always been that way, very honoring. But he was just having a little bit of a panic attack when they put him in this hotel. And the unfortunate thing was that they had to put him in the top floor because there was some game, some kind of a high school game, and all of the lower uh, floors were filled with young people. So they put him on the highest floor, in the sixth floor, and outside of his window, about 20 feet adjacent from his window, was this huge red brick wall. There was no view, but just this brick wall of another building. Well, he's getting ready, and uh, this was his introduction into this little town. And uh, he he really he went down to the uh, the uh, what is it the connoisseur the the maid the 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 people running the hotel and asked is there is there any lower room that I could get into and they said we're sorry. Pastor Iverson, the only room available. By the way, this was the only hotel in town, by the way. And so the only room you got is on the sixth floor, and he was right in the middle of this hotel. So he's up there, and he's getting ready for bed. He's getting ready, and he's getting in the bed, and all of a sudden, outside on the brick, he sees through the window red and blue lights. And they're flashing on the building, red and blue. And then he hears the siren comes up. And the siren goes off. And he sees these red and blue. Well, Dick panics. He gets up and he could swear he was smelling smoke. And so he got up and he put his britches on. He went to the telephone and he tries to call the front desk. And there was no one answering the front desk. So he gets up and he puts his pajamas on. He leaves his bags behind because he believes that the hotel is on fire. And he goes down and he starts knocking on all of the rooms on the sixth floor. There's a fire coming. There's a fire outside the fire. I saw the fire trucks. He literally goes down and he's getting everybody and they're all waking up and they're, they're coming out. And so, what's happening? There's a fire. Let's go. Don't go down the elevator. And he gets them all in this little train of people, about a dozen of them, and they're walking down the fire escape outside, the back of the building. True story. And he's, they're all in their pajamas and they're walking up to the front desk and Dick says, okay, what do you want us to do? Where's the fire? And the maid at the front desk says, there is no fire. Well, I saw the lights. I heard the siren. And they said, and the lady said, a policeman just arrested a drunk across the street. And all of those people on the sixth floor, looked at Dick Iverson, and they said they were really ticked off. So they all went back up the elevator. Actually, Dick said this. He says, I didn't want to get on the elevator. I went up the fire escape. 
And he says, it is amazing what fear will do to your minds. When you begin to make something out of nothing, when it's not even there, but in fact, he, and this is what Dick said, he says, it's amazing. When I saw the lights, I could have sworn I smelled the smoke. But it wasn't smoke from outside. It, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever smelled it, been in a hotel, an old rickety one. They, they, you can usually smell the smoke of people smoking in another room. Well, he, 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 he was thinking it was the burning, the building was burning. And so he's, he's running, he's running down the hallway, waking him up. The, the point is, is it's amazing how things can play with our minds. And so on this series I'm on doing about the renewing of the mind, how many of you know that God wants to bring some stability to our minds? And He, he wants us not to be so quick to make rash judgments about things until we get the facts. Everyone say the facts. It is so important. And, and you know, in a society today that just makes a rush to judgment, and we've all made this mistake. We've all done this. And uh, Dick, remember, he says, he says, I couldn't get out of that small little town fast enough. He says that one of the sad things is about half the people that was on the sixth floor was next, next day in the Sunday service <laughs> that he was preaching at at this church. So, uh, but it was, you know, irregardless of the problem, they, they still prevailed. And he came through that weekend he says, the only thing is they never did invite me back, <laughs> which I thought was kind of interesting. On your notes here tonight, uh, we're going to be looking at tearing down strongholds. And we're going to define what it is. We're going to look at a, one of our key texts tonight found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, you know this very important scripture. It says this. It says, for though, verse 3, 10, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war in the flesh. We do not war according to the flesh. We do not walk in the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Everyone say strongholds. Casting down vain imaginations. Everyone say vain imagination. Vain imaginations. Casting vain imaginations down. And arguments. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought. Everyone say every thought. Every thought into captivity, bringing everything that exalts itself, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Father, we just pray that You would just quicken the Word, open our hearts, give rest, give strength to us. We thank You, Lord, for the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. How many of you believe God has given us the mind of Christ? You, you are not a victim. You are not an individual that is to be taken by surprise. In fact, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul calls us the children of light. We are not victims by a circumstance or problems. And the Apostle Paul, in the book of Corinthians, he's dealing with, and equipping this early church with the fact that when a crisis comes, when battles come against you, one of the most important things he wants us to understand is that these battles have their roots with spiritual principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in heavenly places. And Paul says this, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. My problem is not people. Your problem is not people. My problem is not the Democrats or the Republicans or the Independents. My problem is not... The, 
How many of you know there is a real devil that wants to kill, steal, and destroy? That's his objective. And he loves to get people going at each other. He loves to have churches going at each other. He loves it when we are fighting on the wrong battlefield. It's possible to be fighting on the wrong battlefield, isn't it? I remember when I was first married to my wife, and uh, I, I remember there were elements of immaturity and insecurity. And I, one thing about relationship, relationship reveals what's inside of you. How many of you know that? There's two ways to handle a crisis. You can face it and grow from it, or you can run and escape and become isolated and just live alone. And that's what a lot of people choose to do. They choose to run and live alone, or they choose to go from church to church, or from marriage to marriage, or from one job to the next job. And God intends for us to grow through our crisis. Amen? And so the Apostle Paul here is talking about strongholds. Now, let's look on your notes here tonight. I'm going to try to follow this. I listed about seven types of strongholds that the Bible teaches about. There are spiritual strongholds. And a spiritual stronghold can be any particular lie that can come into the mind of an individual. For instance, how many of you know that there are different types of strongholds? Here's a stronghold when a person believes that God does not love them. How many of you know that's a stronghold? Or maybe another kind of a stronghold is that if only people knew what I have done, they would reject me. How many of you believe that's a stronghold? If, if, the, if the church only knew what I was and what I've done, I know that they would not love me or accept me. And that's really tragic. How many of you know that that is a way that Satan gets us isolated? The devil's objective is to isolate you and cut you off from the love of God and from healing. You know, one of the most important mandates in the New Testament Paul gave it to the church at Galatia when he says this, and I want you to hear me on this. He says, If a brother or a sister be overtaken in a fault or a sin or a trespass, what does it say to do? Restore. It says, If a brother or a sister be overtaken, you which are spiritual. How many people out there are spiritual tonight? Praise God. The idea of being spiritual doesn't mean that you're just full of head knowledge. But the idea of being spiritual means you're, there's a maturity. There's, a, there's an understanding of who you are and what God's purpose, what His plan is. It says, if any man is overtaken in a fault or a sin, you who are spiritual, restore. Everyone say, Restore. In a spirit of meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is a spirit of humility. It's a spirit of faith. Restore in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. In other words, Jesus, or the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Galatia. By the way, remember the problem that the church at Galatia had. Galatia had a problem with falling from grace going back under the law. And guess what happens when people are under the law? They become really critical, don't they? They become cynical. They become revengeful. But when you're walking in the grace of God, that doesn't mean that we're overlooking sin, by the way. We know what God's, in fact, the, the very reason why God dispenses grace is for restoration. He loves people. He cares about us. 
And He knows that the way that people are led to repentance is through the goodness of God. And so the Apostle Paul was concerned for the church at Galatia. there, There were strongholds. Strongholds have to do, and I wrote down in your notes tonight, the definition of a stronghold on Roman numeral number two is a mindset that captures your way of thinking that makes you think there is no way out. That's what a mindset is. It captures your way of thinking that makes you think there is no way out. Now, the Greek word, by the way, for stronghold, by the way, the the Greek word is a military term. Stronghold. And it's a twofold meaning. It means fortress, and it also means prison. Now, you know what a prison is. A prison is what keeps people in. A fortress keeps people out. So it's pretty desperate situation when you can't get out and when you will not let anyone in. That's a stronghold. A, strong, a person, by the way, there are two kinds of strongholds. There are what we know are obvious strongholds. Everyone say obvious. But then there are blind strongholds. Strongholds that you are not even aware of. Now, I just want to kind of kind of raise an awareness about something. One of the reasons and one of the ways that God opens our eyes to help us to recognize strongholds is by putting you in relationships. The reason, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your children, whether it's in a local church, whether it's in a job, God will use people to show you what's inside of you. He doesn't do it to intimidate you. He doesn't do it to shame you. Now you may say, well, Pastor, I've, I've come out of some pretty nasty places, man. And I've been beat up, and I have been ripped up, and I don't know, I don't know about churches, man. I don't know about people. I don't know if I could ever handle a marriage again. I've run into so many people, and I'm sure you have too where people have gone down a particular road and uh, they've hit some bumps. We all hit bumps, amen? Uh, Here's the beautiful thing about understanding and growing in the knowledge of the love of God. Is that God never, ever labels or uh, puts a stigma on person, on an individual or anybody because they fall short. God never, ever labels you a failure. He never writes anyone off. In fact, we find that in Jesus, in His day, in the Gospel, I am so glad that Jesus chose those 12 disciples. How many of you can relate to those 12 guys? I mean, these guys were not perfect people. These guys were full of sin. They were full of pride. Uh, Think about this. On the very night that Jesus was going to be betrayed on the Passover, they're all arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And they're, they're, I mean, they're, because Jesus had just come in uh, to Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, a week before, and Jesus was just being uh, recognized as the King of kings. The Son of David has come. And part of the reason why Jerusalem was rejoicing, by the way, in Palm Sunday, was because Jesus, just a week before that, had raised Lazarus from the dead. And, 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 and this, the news of this resurrection about Lazarus being raised from the dead was getting around the whole area and the whole region there in Judea. So when Jesus was coming into town... The, the nation, or the city, the Jewish people recognized and they were acknowledging this, this is He. This is the Messiah. This is the one that Isaiah prophesied. This is the fulfillment of, of Isaiah 55. This is it. Well, when Jesus comes into the city, you know, Jesus begins to do some things that was kind of strange. One of those things was He cursed the fig tree. 
Another thing that Jesus did was He came in and He cleansed the temple. How many of you know that that kind of shocked anybody? I mean, Jesus, the Bible actually says He created a whip and He cleansed the temple because He saw them buying and selling. And, and, uh, and, and I mean, here they just gave Jesus this huge parade. Here's the King of Kings. And He comes in and He starts cleaning the temple out. How many of you know that that would be kind of a tough one? I mean, this was kind of throwing people in a shock. So by the end of the week, they were ready to crucify Him. Because He just came in and messed up everything. And sometimes God will come into your life and He's going to turn some things over. Not because He's trying to hurt you or abuse you. It's because He loves you. Not, he doesn't, God, God doesn't do those things. But here, what happened, in Scripture here, we find that there are strongholds. And all of us have strongholds. We find that also that there are people that have relational strongholds. Relational strongholds maybe about their spouse. Relational strongholds of, of immaturity. That's a relational stronghold. Maybe just not being accountable, having wrong motives, no real vision for the relationship. Relational strongholds can also be when I really don't see my spouse through the eyes of Jesus. I see them as a failure. I see them as a train wreck. And uh, how many of you know that when I begin to think those thoughts in my relationship, those are not thoughts that are going to produce good fruit in my life. If I don't like the fruit in my life, I need to ask myself, what kind of seeds am I sowing? If the seeds that I'm sowing are not producing good fruit, and all you've got is a weed patch, you need to ask yourself, what have I been sowing? How many of you know we reap what we sow? It's, it's, it's a principle with God. The Bible says, for God is not mocked. Whatsoever we sow, we will reap. Same thing happens. If I want my wife to blossom, one of the things i got to find out is I need to sow by example. I learned a long time ago about leadership. Is that leadership is not getting behind a pulpit and telling everybody what to do. That's not leadership. Leadership is not here banging my pulpit up here and saying, thus saith Ray, you better do this. That, that's not leadership. Leadership means that you teach by example. If I'm not living what I'm preaching, the Bible says I become a castaway. That's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. If I myself cannot bring my body under subjection, I become a castaway and my testimony is worthless. Jesus even said that if salt has lost its savor, it is henceforth cast out, trodden under a foot of men, because when they see your when they hear your message, but then they see your lifestyle not matching with your message, the Bible says. Your testimony is worthless. Jesus said that. That's not Ray saying that. But I believe that none of us have a worthless testimony. I believe all of us have a great testimony. Amen? Amen. And we do. And one of the ways that we do is we empower people. We empower people with the same grace that God has given to us. There's identity strongholds. What is an identity stronghold? An identity stronghold is when you are accepting a particular way of thinking or a particular role that makes you feel like you're a victim. That you're living below. Maybe you think like you're a slave to someone or to something. How many of you know God's called us to be kings and priests? You're to be sons and daughters. God did not call you to be a slave. Unfortunately, there's many pulpits and ministry, even where I've come from. I remember even my own pastor. I love him and I appreciate him very dearly. But I remember for years, it was always teaching 
the messages had to do with more corrective from the standpoint that we need to stay away from sin. We, we need to be careful with what we watch with our eyes. And we need to be careful and we need to stop doing that and start doing that. It was, a lot of it had to do, the messages had to do with much, that, that with about uh, behavior. Uh, behavior, changing our behavior rather than growing in the knowledge of our relationship with Jesus. So it's the knowledge of who we are and who He is in us that grants us grace and peace. Amen? We're not transformed by, t- by thou shalt not. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Now somebody may say, oh, Pastor, those are good laws, aren't they? Absolutely. Thou shalt not, but you cannot transform people by that. And those, there are religious strongholds. A religious stronghold is the kind of a stronghold where you come into a place, or maybe you can be around a person. In fact, don't raise your hand on this one. But how many here have ever been around a person and you were afraid of them because you did not feel you met their expectations? That's really sad. You know what? I know I haven't been doing right, living right, thinking right, and I've been failing so much, and I know that I've, I've failed their expectation. Well, how many, of you want, how many of you would be attracted to that kind of a person? I mean, I, I wouldn't be. But I would be attracted to a person that says, you know, Ray, I know you fail, I know you've blown it, but Ray, I still believe in you. You know what that does to me? That makes me want to change. When somebody says, I believe in you. But see, these are strongholds. And there, by the way, how many of you ever faced a stronghold that, that was really strong in your life? Sometimes our strongholds come from where we were, how we were raised. We've been around maybe parents that were angry. I remember dealing with a young woman one time, and she was starving for affirmation, starving for just the kind of of a reality of acceptance and value. And I'll never forget, she told my wife and I one time, she says, the only value I ever felt when I was a young girl was when my father used to tell me he'd be, he, was, he was a sports addict, he was watching football if he wasn't working he was watching sports all the time but she says i would come into the living room when my father would watch television and she said i would wait for him to ask me to go get a beer out of the refrigerator because when i got the beer he would pat me on the head and i valued the pat on the head that's all my dad gave me was the pat on the head and she says, that's all the affirmation I ever received from my dad. And, you saw, and, and, and so when we were talking to her, we were letting her know that even though my father or my mother have, uh, out of, maybe out of their own lack of understanding and maybe some generational issues that, that were not really working in their life, uh, I, I said, we, we don't want to blame our parents, but we, all, we, we, we know that when we become exposed to the grace of God and the, and the true gospel, God can restore the years the canker worm eats. God can restore and bring you up to date, and He can make all things new now. When I choose, and this is what the Apostle Paul says, he says, this one thing I do in life, is I learn to let go or forget those things which are behind. Now, part of being transformed is I've got to learn to let go of some things, especially what people have done to me. You see, strongholds are not just because I've grown up in a toxic atmosphere in a family. Maybe there was poor leadership, poor relationship, really no example in my home. Maybe I've grown up, and by the way, I've run in as a pastor, as a Christian. I've, I've uh, been around, and I'm sure you've been around many people that have been around individuals where a toxic relationship and an environment is normal for them. 
It's normal for them to have profanity just going through their house. It's normal for them to call names. It's, it's normal for there to be outbursts of anger all the time. There are homes like that. And how many of you know that kind of atmosphere will destroy generations? You can't build on that kind atmosphere. And I, in fact, tonight, tonight, I was on the phone with a family in Portland. Uh, my wife and I know of a family in Portland. We're, we're dealing with a situation right now. It's not even in this church. A family in Portland where uh, there's a young man in this family. He's going to be taken to JDH, to juvenile detention, and there's such toxicity. There's no Christian leadership in the home. One of the things I was asking the couple, I said, what? Is there any prayer? Is, is there any prayer? Go- is there any leadership in the home? No. Come to find out they haven't even been to the house of the Lord for months. Now, I'm not judging them because they haven't been to church. But one of the things I, I've come to find out, if you're not feeding your spirit, if you're not feeding on a healthy diet, you're not going to have a healthy life. Spiritually, amen? And uh, I need to nurture my garden. My marriage is a garden. I need to water that garden. I need to feed that garden. I need to sow encouragement and appreciation and life. I need to tell my wife, my husband, how awesome they are. I need to let them know that you are a gift from God. I need to let my children know Not because their grades are good. Not because they've received some academic award in the school. But I want them to know I appreciate them and they're a winner no matter what their GPA is. You see, that's that's how we break generational curses. That's how we break some serious strongholds. Amen? And we begin to sow some healthy strongholds. By the way, the word stronghold is not necessarily a bad word. God wants there to be some things of strength in your life that hold you. How many of you know it's, it's good to be, have a strong faith in God? I, I want my faith to be strong. I, if you find yourself shaken in such a way that you just, well, I'm, I'm done with the Bible. I'm done with the church. That's a dangerous place. That's a very dangerous place. You just took Satan's bait right there. How many of you believe the devil would never encourage you to go to church? Would he ever encourage you to pray? Would he ever encourage you to call for Christian help? Never. The devil wants you to find every reason why you need to run. That's what the devil does. He wants you to find a reason to run, find a reason to be isolated, find a reason. That's, that's his game plan. So when I'm talking about bringing down strongholds, I need to always be encouraged. And I love, I love, I, I want you to jump over with me to John's Gospel chapter 21. I want you to see something here. John's Gospel chapter t- 21. I'm sorry, Luke 21. I was wrong. Luke 21. Luke 21, verse 31. Now you all know this discussion. Jesus comes to Peter. This again, this is near the end of his time. But Jesus comes to Peter and makes an interesting statement. He says, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan hath Ask for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Isn't that a beautiful promise there? God is basically saying, Peter, you're going to fail, your faith won't fail. But you're going to go through a sifting time. I don't know about you guys, but I would have said, time out, God. Why in the world 
did you not just tell the devil to get off my back? I mean, what Jesus is saying here to Peter is that Satan and Jesus had a discussion about Peter. And Jesus is saying, Peter, guess what? The devil came to me today, and he wants to shake up your world. Now, how many of you would love to hear that kind of news? The devil wants to shake up your world. But be of good cheer, Peter. I prayed for you that your faith won't your faith won't give up. You'll probably fail, but you won't your faith won't give up. Now you know what I would have told the Lord? I would have taken him aside. I gotta be honest, this is my this is my carnal side of Ray Galligan. I probably would have taken Jesus' side and said, Lord, uh, that's not good news. Uh, why didn't you just tell the devil to flake off and get out of here? Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith wouldn't fail. Now, there's, there's, there's something that we need to realize. The point is, why did Jesus say that Satan could even sift him? I'll tell you why. It's because Peter was blind to the fact that he gave ground to Satan. Do you know that Satan can't sift anything? that he has no ground in. The devil cannot touch you if there, has never been a, if there was never a door open for him. The devil cannot sift, he cannot touch you unless somewhere in our history, our past, we open the door. Now, this is my opinion. Because as we follow through the story here, remember what happened. Where was the sifting process? It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed and taken into custody. Remember what Peter promised the Lord? Lord, I'll I'll stay with you. I'm not going to give up. I'll I'll follow you all the way to the end. What was the problem there with Peter? What was it? Pride? What else? Fear? How, How about... Serving the Lord out of his own strength. He, he, he felt that he, Lord, I can follow you. I won't betray you. He, he really meant well. How many of you know he meant well? But there was a stronghold in Peter, and it was a blind spot. By the way, folks, we all got blind spots. And these blind spots are strongholds. Do you remember <clears throat> way back when? In Matthew 18, or Matthew 16, remember when Jesus was in Caesarea Philippi and Jesus asked the question, He said, who do men say that I am? And, and the disciples were saying, Elijah, some of you said, John the Baptist, come back from the dead, this, and then Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter got up and said, Jesus, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus turns and said, Peter, flesh and blood is not... Reveal this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Everybody takes back and wow, Jesus just right there commends Peter for giving this answer. And Jesus said, because of this, Peter, I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and no door will be shut and you'll be able to open doors and close doors. And Jesus gives this tremendous commendation to Peter. And says, Peter, you are going to have the keys of the kingdom and you're going to open the kingdom at a specific time, in a certain time. And then following that little scenario, Jesus begins to tell the disciples, guys, I want to, t-, he t- pulls them aside and says, guys, I've got to go up into Jerusalem. It says that Jesus set his face to go into Jerusalem. And he said, when he was going to go into Jerusalem, He says that I'm going to go and I will be betrayed by the Sanhedrin. I will be turned over. They will flog me, crucify me. I will be killed and I will be raised on the third day. What what does Peter do? Pulls him aside and rebukes him. Can you imagine rebuking God? Peter takes him aside. Now how how many of you see the stronghold here? The stronghold is this is that Peter really trusted in his own wisdom. He trusted in his own strength. And you know what? Here's another thing. Peter meant well. I mean, here here, here they got a great thing going. 
The Messiah, the whole parade, things are going. People are coming by the thousands. Their popularity is rising. People are coming from every city, every region around. And Jesus is talking about dying when everything is thriving. And yet Jesus in His message reveals strongholds that they were not aware of. Even in the midst of of a prosperity, even in the midst of when things are going well, there are times where the Lord may open our eyes to show us things. Not because He's trying to intimidate us, hurt us, uh, intimidate us, shame us. But He's trying to show us things, and I really believe this is the reason, is to obliviate and, and to eradicate any potential access that the devil can have into our life. Because when Jesus told Peter... Satan has desired to sift thee. The only reason that Jesus could say that is because Jesus was saying, Peter, you've opened a door in your life for the devil to have a place to sift you. Now, I understand that we all go through a testing and crisis, and then even Jesus was tested and didn't have any, Satan had nothing to do with it. But here's the point. Peter went through a serious disappointment, a sense of failure, because he had confidence in himself rather than the Lord. And the reason was, and listen to me, the reason was is because Peter had in his mind a different outcome than Jesus had. How many of you know it's important for us to line up with the outcome that God has rather than what we want things to be? You see, that's how we set ourselves up for some really deep hurt and offenses. Is when I have an outcome. I have an outcome and this is the way this outcome needs to be. And the outcome doesn't come out the way I hope. One of the things that as an eldership, John, Dave, myself, our leaders, we always want to stay pliable. I never ever want to come and say, Lord, I expect you to do this. It's not a a wise thing to say, talk like that. I say, Lord, if it is your will. Now, we can expect the Lord to heal and, and to strengthen and to do miracles, and we should believe that. But we need to always stay in a place where there's flexibility. There's identity. There are memory strongholds. Types of strongholds, a memory stronghold. There are strongholds. I remember one time there was a a, a person that came into New Life Fellowship several years ago, and this was his statement to me. In fact, I was he was he actually went through our membership class and he said this, you know, I've come to your class, I've come to your class to learn about this church, its doctrine, its vision, where you're going. But he says, in my opinion, most of you guys are phonies. What he said, in fact, he said it right in front of the whole class. And you know, there were other new people, and he said, I, I really believe you guys are kind of phony. And I said, well, okay, just to let you know, not all of us are phonies. And uh, he had come, this particular individual had come out of the, uh, he'd walked through the season do you all remember way back in the mid-80s when there were two nationwide evangelists that had fallen into sin? I don't want to mention their names, but there were, there were TV ministries that had fallen into sin. Do you know what happens when these ministries fall into sin? It blankets every ministry. And everybody begins to think, well, they're all phonies. They're all after money. They're all after women. That was sad. I remember going through that kind of a thing because they blanket what happens to some and and people begin to imagine. That is a stronghold. Those kind of strongholds need to be dealt with. And one of the things that we need to do is we need to test the Spirit. Everyone say test. If you're going to, to uh, and the Bible says to know them which labor among you, test the Spirit. 
But one of the things we want to be careful is we want to be careful not to make a rush to judgment about things just because we've had other people in our memory break some laws and they've, they've hurt other people. I want to tell you right now, this is my opinion. You know, the Bible says in Titus chapter 2, it says, To the pure and to those who are believing, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. And that's sad. Because we, we, we want to make sure that we are building on a healthy foundation. There's financial strongholds. A financial stronghold, for instance, in a relationship could be, for instance, I'm not going to tell you how I spent my money. How many of you know in marriage there are no secrets? I don't have the right to tell my wife it's none of your business how I spend my money. By the way, it's not my money. By the way, to save your marriage, get rid of the, the word mine. Start replacing it with our. Everyone say our. Doesn't that just sound better? It's our. It's our car. I'll never forget the first time I bought a motorcycle. I said, wow, I sure like my, yeah, it's yours, isn't it? My wife said, yeah, yeah, it's your, your bike. Uh, Carol, no, it's our bike. She says, you know I'll never ride that thing. I said, Carol, it is our bike. And you can ride it. She says, you know what, would you bought this bike that's so big, I cannot even straddle the thing. She has a point there, but <laughs> not that I tried it. But I said, Carol, everything in our marriage is ours. The only thing that is not mine is your underwear. And so that's, everything else is ours except your underwear. But everything is ours. Those are just some practical, important things. When it comes to breaking strongholds, financial strongholds. But here's another one, a medical diagnostic stronghold. Don't raise your hand. I bet I can't tell you how many people come to me. Pastor! The doctor says I'm bipolar and I've got a learning disability. Okay. Well, what does Dr. Jesus say? You know, let me tell you what bipolar is. Bipolar means there's a, there, you're unstable. Bipolar means that you're shifty, that things shift in your life. I'm not trying to in any way belittle the prognosis, the diagnosis, but I want to say that sometimes... I've seen people, you've seen people use what the doctors... I, I can't read because the doctor says I have a learning disability. That's a stronghold. And how many of you know we need to say all things are possible with Christ? I've seen God heal people with bipolar. You've seen it. God can help people if they're willing to put their trust in Him. Amen? I, uh, today we're living in a society, it's sad where everyone said, I can't get a job, I can't work, I can't make any money, I can't, I can't get wealthy, and I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. What we're doing, we're now developing a whole culture of individuals that feel entitled, that don't want to work, and, and, and it's, it's going to sink the nation. Now, I understand there are people that are really poor. People that really need medical help. Absolutely. We're all for helping people. Need real medical help. Real people that really do have learning disabilities and they need assistance. All for that. Absolutely. But when we begin to use that as a crutch, that's a stronghold. And I want to tell you right now, our God is a God of restoration. He's a God of miracles. And He's a God that wants to renew your mind, renew your life. And he wants to do something. I, I, Luke, in, in the book of Luke chapter 5, I won't turn there, it's one of my scriptures. It's when Jesus came to the pool of Bethesda. Here's a man with a stronghold. The Bible says that he was in that place for 38 years. 38 years lying down by a pool. Jesus comes up to the man of the pool of Bethesda and asks this question. Do you want to get help? Now, I don't know about you, but what an insult. What a crazy question. Do you want to get well? Like, yeah. Why would you ask such a question like that? Let me tell you something. I actually believe Jesus was challenging the man's desire because he had become comfortable with lying there, 
being dependent on alms. And you know what? You can be in a place where everyone's bailing you out and you never really get on your own feet. Now, I'm all for helping people. Please don't misunderstand me. There's times where I've been there. where we, need, But we need to realize that, for instance, let me say something else. I've heard a lot of ministries say this. The church is a hospital. Oh, the church. Sounds really spiritual and great. And it should be a hospital. But how many of you know you don't live in the hospital? I don't know about you, but I've been to the hospital three times. I have my appendix out, my gallbladder out, and who knows, I think they took my brains out one time. <laughs> yeah. But, but I've, had, I've had the thing about it, you go to the hospital, yes, you go through surgery, you come through uh, intensive care, but you get well, and you get out and you get back into society. There are people that are in a spiritual hospital, and they've been in it for years. And they've, they've been, it, that's a toxic mindset. They constantly need counseling. They constantly need to be told over and over and over the same. And, and you say, have, have you evolved into the next level of maturity and faithfulness and growing up? No, I don't want it. Wow, that's sad. How many of you know God wants us to evolve and grow up in Him? Really important here. This is so important because breaking strongholds starts by owning and taking ownership with where I'm at. Now, that doesn't mean you shame yourself, humiliate yourself, put yourself under condemnation. But I need to own, okay, have I been using excuses to keep myself from really growing and getting healed in the Lord? Have I been taking advantage of, the, of all that God has given to me through the church and through the Word and the Holy Spirit? I, I remember a gentleman, true story here. He came up to me and he said this to me. He says, Pastor, I can't get a job. I can't get a job. And he was really, he was, he meant, he, his desire and plan was to get a job. And so uh, he would come down uh, fairly regularly, and we would pray for him on Sundays. And I said, you keep coming, we're going to keep praying. And he would come for about a month, two months. About after the second or third month, somewhere in there, felt the Lord put on my mind to ask him about his daily agenda. I come to find out the guy was sleeping until noon every day. He wasn't looking in the newspaper. He wasn't going to some, uh, he wasn't, I, I said, have you, have, you been, have you been putting applications in? No, I just, just haven't done it. And I said, do you really want a job? Yes, I want a job and I'm praying. I'm just asking God to send me a job. How many of you hear what I'm saying here? You've you got to get, out of the house. You actually got to go and put an application. You got to knock on the door and say, Kim, is there any openings at your job? Is there, is there, Bill, do, do, is there any openings where you're at? I, I've got to actually go. And, and this, the second thing was this. I just don't think anybody would hire me. And this is what I told him. I know you're going to think that's pretty bad. I said, I wouldn't hire that attitude either. I said, you've got to sell yourself. You've got to know that you are hireable. And you're an awesome worker. And you're, you're going to bring some real amazing stuff to this company. You've got to sell yourself. Oh, Pastor Ray, that's a little too hyper for me. I, I said, do you know that you're awesome? No. You're awesome. You're powerful. Do you know that you're going to bring some, maybe some ingenious and some amazing creativity? Who knows? You might think of some things that are going to bring some real, uh, uh, some, some excellence into this company and bring it to a new dimension and bring it to some, you've got to look at yourself and think of yourself as a real treasure and an asset for this company. I'm not kidding you. The, the guy looked at me like, what planet are you from? 
And, and he had a tough time. Now, I understand that where this guy had come from, from his past, he had never had anybody put any courage, put any vision, put any faith, any, never gave him a word of, of promise. Never come from that. He really kind of was a latchkey young man growing up. Dad, mom really wasn't there for him. And so he really were, was lacking the tools, lacking uh, what the wherewithal to really give him the kind of vision for himself. By the way, folks, that's why we teach the Word of God. All of you are overcomers. All of you are winners. There's no such thing. You know, sometimes we look at the wealthy and the rich and the prosperous in our culture and the beautiful and, and, the, and the materialistics, and we, we look at this and we think that that's wealth and that's prosperity. That's not prosperity. The Bible says that true prosperity is what a man prospers in his soul. When my soul prospers, I'm going to prosper in every area. Relationally, I'm going to, I have to first prosper mentally. I have to prosper emotionally. I have to prosper spiritually. And you can't prosper until you begin to sow life-giving, promise, powering seeds in your life. Amen? That's, that's, this is so important. Now let's, let's come on down here. Just uh, My time is gone, but I'm going to fill in three blanks and we're done. We'll finish this next week. Three, three things in closing. Strongholds are usually based on Roman numeral number two. <clears throat> Strongholds are usually based on a lie or a distortion of facts. That's what a stronghold. How many of you know the devil is the father of liars? His attempt is to distort the truth and to make you think you're poor, you can't, you won't, you won't make it. That's the devil. How many of you know we need to start telling the devil to get out? You need to get real with this thing. The second thing here is strongholds usually make God small and the problems big. That's what a stronghold does. A stronghold makes... The problem big in God small. Every time I've ever run into people with strongholds, they'll say, I don't know where God is. I don't know where God, God's just not around. God's answering everybody else's prayer, but not my prayer. That's a stronghold. And by, it's not just a stronghold, folks. It's a lie. Do you know I've come to find out that sometimes God's delay is actually preparing me for promotion? God never keeps something from you because he's teasing, tempting, or trying to just go weird on you. God wants to bless you more than you even know. In fact, many times, you, if you follow through Scripture, you'll find that many times God wants to bless us abundantly above all that we could ask or think. But one of the reasons why we don't come into the fullness of blessing at times is because our character is not ready for the the magnitude of the blessing he wants to bring to us. Do you know that, I'm going to say something, do you know that blessing could kill you? Blessing can ruin you. Prosperity can ruin you. Power can ruin you. God wants there to be character in your life so that you can handle what he wants to give you. He's called us to rule and reign in life. But he's got to get fear out. He's got to get doubt out. He's got to tear down that poor self-image that low self-esteem. He's got to deal with that. The last thing here, strongholds are a perspective that makes you think that you are limited and held hostage to a way of thinking or living. It's a perspective that makes you think you're limited. Anytime someone says, I can't, what you've done is just put a wall up between you and God. You've limited God's blessing and power in your life. By the way, I'm looking out right here, and I've seen God just bless so many of you guys. I, I see a church where God is blessing, God is expanding, God is enriching, God is moving. I'm, I am so proud of you guys. I see God just taking this to new levels and blessing us, and he's doing that because he wants us to be a testimony to the world about how great and how loving and how good God is. Amen? Amen? God wants to bless you because 
you become a testimony of his love and his character to the world. He's not a stingy God. He's not a weak God. He's not keeping anything from you. He's a good God. Amen? Amen. We're going to finish this next week. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you, Lord, that no weapon formed against us will prosper. No lie of the enemy. No stronghold. No lie. No belief system. Lord, will keep us back from all that you have. Lord, you're a God who loves to show us. In fact, even as you spoke to Jesus, he said you were going to do many more mighty miracles that we might marvel at all your glory and all your power. Father, we just thank you tonight, Lord, that you're doing amazing things in our lives. You're tearing down strongholds. You're building our vision. You're building, Lord, our faith. Lord, I thank you for your people. I thank you for the amazing things that you're doing in your people. Go with us tonight, Lord. Continue to just bless your people. Give them strength and rest as they go home in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great night.